It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like Sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family at Direct at gmail.com, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing excellent. How are you today? I'm doing great. We have a new friend on as a guest today. Her name is Tara, and she is familiar to some people who are out there on Twitter, in the Twitter sphere. She's MZ Gags, and she's been very vocal lately on Twitter. And so we reached out. We said, you've been digging up so, so much information. We've got to have you on the show. Exactly. She messages us quite often with information that otherwise we wouldn't be able to have the time or just like the the know-how to find some of this stuff that she's pulling up about Moore's case and uh, putting together some uh, connections that are there that that we have talked about and said if there was only that that connective tissue and she can find these things and she does and she's a super cool woman a lovely human being and very informative and very open to talking with us about this and a very good 
representative of the of the Maura Murray community. Great points, Lance. And this is only part one. We're going to record a part two with her because I feel like we kind of had to cut this interview short uh, because of a busy schedule. But we are recording a part two with her that we will air uh, after this. So I hope you enjoy hearing from Tara. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Follow us on Twitter, and there's a link to follow Tara. And also just want to remind everyone to be nice out there. No accusations, no harassing, no online stalking. Do not scare anybody in the community. We do not encourage that, and we know the true members looking for the truth here do not encourage that either. Welcome to the podcast, Tara. How are you today, Tara? Hey, guys. I'm really good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's been so long. We've been communicating via the social networks, uh, especially on Twitter. And it's, uh, you know, I feel like this is a little bit overdue because you have just amassed so much information on Maura Murray's case. You have a lot of questions and, and you, you know, need a lot of answers during your uh over the course of this uh, independent investigation that you've launched into her case like a lot of other people have um but yeah you've been super thorough and and i feel like we really needed to talk about this and we needed to put it on the air that's sort of what we've been trying to do over the past few weeks yeah i really appreciate where you guys are are heading uh currently with this whole citizen detective uh crowdsourcing of information and going back to the beginning and so I thought I would just dig in and do the same. Great. Well, thank you very much. And that's the idea. We need your help. We need your help. We need everybody's help. And uh, because this is a, a wild story that needs to be, there's a lot of threads and they all need to be pulled, basically. Absolutely. And I think we're getting somewhere. I agree. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Don't, you know, go into as much detail as you want or don't go into, you know, as much detail as you want, but... I just want to set the uh, scene for people out there. Where did you come from? Um, what what started you on this path? And you know, do you have any background in in any sort of investigation? I'll let you. I'll let you. You know, fill us in on whatever you feel you're you know comfortable filling us in on. All right. So um, I always like to say, most importantly, I'm a mom and a wife. Um, which doesn't leave a lot of time for sleuthing. However, all of my free time currently has been invested in Maura Murray's case. I've been looking into her case for quite a few years. Um, but back when uh, that Twitter rampage happened in the July long weekend, it, it just kind of started a fire within me and I decided I've got to do some more here. I've got to do all I can to help. So I'd say my true crime obsession started with unsolved mysteries. And I've heard that a lot um, on podcasts. Um, some of your guests have said the same thing. Like I, I was not even a teenager and, and that show used to scare the shit out of me, but I always watched it. Also, where I live in um, London, Ontario, Canada, there's um, a sadistic, prolific rapist named Paul Bernardo. I'm sure you've heard of him. He was active when I was uh, 14 or 15. Um, he was known as the Scarborough Rapist, uh, convicted of killing three girls, Tammy Hamoka, who was his wife's younger sister, Kristen French, and Leslie Mahaffey. Um, definitely one of Canada's most notorious cases. 
Carla Mocha was his wife, and she was um, as complicit and vile as Paul Bernardo, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I live really close to where that happened. And I can remember m me and my friends, like always being on the lookout for this white Camaro, because that was the um, vehicle um, that they were searching for prior to arresting him. So that kind of um, put me into overdrive and instilled a real fear in me and my teenage friends at the time. Um, and I'd say that's when true crime really became part of my life. I, I read all the books that I could on Paul Bernardo and then it just, you know, dominoed um, from there. Another interesting fact is that uh, London, Ontario has been referred to as the serial killer capital of the world at one point. And I mean, we're, we're quite small. I don't know our exact population, but I'd say under 400,000 people. Um, so that's quite a title. Um, I know one of your buddies, Dr. Lee Meller from Murder Was the Case. He's, he's quite knowledgeable on this um, fact. Yes, yes. Yeah, and um, another interesting fact about London, Ontario. So I'm just kind of trying to say, you know, why am I so obsessed with true crime? Well, it's just surrounds me since I was a, a young girl. So there's an author in London named Vanessa Brown. Um, she wrote a book called um, The Forest City Killer. And um, I'll send you guys a link so you can look into it and share. She was also on um, Murder Squad with Billy Jensen and Paul Holes. And there was a series of murders in London um, in the 70s, uh, late 60s and 70s, um, that are still unsolved. So um, it's, it's quite uh, scary <laughs> living around here and knowing that there was all these active serial killers in London, Ontario. Um, and then one last personal thing is um, when I uh, turned 20 on my 20th birthday, my friend was stabbed in the neck um, right in front of me outside of a bar in London, Ontario. And um, they, you know, he's, he lived, I guess, for three more days, but his family ultimately had to make the decision to pull the plug because he was essentially brain dead. So that was a pretty traumatic um, real life crime experience that Jesus. I, that I went through. Yeah. Jesus. Sorry to hear that. That's uh, that's terrible. Did, did anything come of that? That they must have caught the person, right? Thank God they did. Um, and it's really weird because the, the person that stabbed my friend, um, we had no interaction with this person all night. So it was just totally out of the blue, totally random. We saw a girl get punched in the face by a guy and they were fighting over a cab. So then all my guy friends ran over across the street to help this girl. And then the next thing you know, we see this guy who wasn't even with us. He was stabbed in the chest and he survived. He ended up living. We didn't even know who he was. And the, um, my friend unfortunately lost his life, but his killer was caught. Um, he ended up pleading guilty. So we got to avoid the trial, but I went through the whole writing the victim impact statements, et cetera. And, um, you know, in Canada, life sentences aren't uh, like yours in the United States. Um, so when you get sentenced to life here, unless you've been given um, a special 
like a designation, kind of like what Paul Bernardo has. He'll never get out. Um, I forget what designation it is, but if it's just, you know, you kill one person in Canada, they think, oh, we'll, we'll sentence you to life, which is 25 years, but typically you only have to serve a third of your sentence. So in 11 years, he was out. So he's out living his life and my friend is gone and his family lost a son. Jesus. Man, I, I feel like we could go down this path. I have so many questions just about that. You know, the that because part of me is like, you know, I I I do on a on a on some level support that system, that justice system, um, because it does allow somebody to face their wrongs and then try to do something right later on in in life. But but like eleven years for for uh, a cold blooded murder like that, you know, uh, someone who did something so impulsively. Like that's that's scary because that was impulsive, you know, and and that that could come back again. And I don't think eleven years is enough time to uh, be incarcerated for something like that. I agree, and and the fact that he stabbed this other person as well. So there was two people that were stabbed that night, and all he got was eleven years, you know. So he's still by the time I think he was only like maybe twenty or twenty one. Same with my friend. Um, so, you know, he could, he'd be out in his thirties and he still has the opportunity to have kids and get married. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Wow. Well, that's, uh, that's quite an introduction into true crime. I mean, that's a really up close, uh, viewpoint of it. So, uh, yeah. So I, you know, you, your perspective is, is very valid on this show. Thanks. I appreciate it. And so what about the Maura Murray community? How did you get into that community? You know, like I remember seeing the um, 2020 episode, or I remember seeing the disappeared episode. I've read James Renner's book. Um, of, I, I didn't really get into the Facebook community, but certainly the Twitter community. Um, I, I've just read and listened to as much as I could about Maura Murray because it is fascinating. It is a real mystery. Ultimately, everyone wants to know what happened to this young woman. Yeah, so I've talked with James Renner um, online uh, a few times, and I just want to put it out there um, that I personally respect and appreciate James Renner as a person, an author, and an investigative journalist. Um, People have some really unfair, harsh opinions and stances on James, and I'm just not in that camp. Um, I support him because I trust him. I think he's a great author of many books. He's a driven investigative journalist. Um, I always think about not only Maura's case, but Amy Mihalovic, and now he's working on a book about Lisa Pruitt. Um, I just think he's great at his job. I know there's been a lot of talk online um, with the uh, prosecutors pod, and they were like, James Renner's a jerk, but he's a jerk because he's a good journalist. You know, so I think um, James likely takes that as a badge of honor. It means that he's doing a good job, right? And one thing that I always think about is um, if it wasn't for James Renner, then we wouldn't know all of this stuff about Bill Roche. That is true. Um, He did do his digging back in 2015, and at that point, it's it, it was so out there that I think a lot of the community just couldn't accept that even those allegations could be true. As the years have gone by and Bill has added to his legal troubles since then, it makes Renner's reporting actually kind of quite solidifies it. 
It really does. It really does in my mind. I've I've actually been trying to pinpoint the exact moment that Renner and I also feel bad that I don't even address him by his first name anymore. He's just like a he's like a character now. Like he's just Renner. He's got like a big R on his shirt or something. So funny that you say that because I'm always like, why does everyone refer to him as Renner? But everybody does it, myself included. Yeah, even to his face. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's fine so I it. messaged him one day and I said, um, you know, this really bugs me. I'm going to try to at least correct myself and start referring to you as James or James Renner. So people know, they probably won't even know who we're talking about if we just say James, right? He's so... Right used right. to runner yeah but um and he was like you know it's been around since high school so i guess it's just kind of stuck yeah so i was trying to pinpoint like the exact uh moment where he went wrong in sort of the eyes of some of the community you know back in the day was it when he, his book was published or was it when he said something specific um maybe it was just a combination of it all but my question to you is uh have, have you ever talked to him about that uh just how he's perceived by some members of the more murray community or do you have an opinion on that like where he like was there a specific tipping point for him yeah so i haven't talked with him about that other than i always have his back and support him um but in my opinion i think that um people in the community often hold on to the fact that Fred Murray didn't want to talk with him and didn't want to be part of the book. So I feel like they've always held on to that. And, you know, Fred has his reasons as to why. I, I personally don't know what those reasons are, but I think that may have started it. And then, of course, you know, I don't know if you want to air this, but um, the allegations that Bill Roche always brings up, um, that James reported of the inappropriate behavior. We'll just leave it at that. I don't even want to say it because I know it's not true. I don't believe that, but I feel like that is what Bill really holds on to. Like um, back the July long weekend, um, I was I was bringing up points, and he he just kept going back to that message. He kept going back to that message, and I'm like, dude, why aren't you? why don't you just leave this alone? Like James is a reporter. Someone told him this and he reported on it. And so I think, I think that's, that's where the animosity comes from towards James. But I think he was just doing his job. He reported on something. He didn't make this up. Well, I think it's a great point about Bill. And uh, it is weird that he always uh, turns it back to that, you know, and it's not just him though. It's, it's uh, a few others out there that they will constantly go back to that. Like, um, I don't know. It's their main point. Um, oh, if you if you listen to anything or believe anything he says, then you support, um, I don't know, you know, nasty things about victims like I don't it's it's so bonkers um, of, a, of a take that it's hard to get my head around it. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I want to make a clear distinction that, um, you know, we've tried to make in the past and continue to make is that I don't I don't have an opinion personally on any abuse that went on in the more in uh, Morris household in the Murray household, because I don't know, I'm not a reporter. Uh, no one's ever told us that, you know, directly, no one from the family has ever said that, but that doesn't make it. So I don't have to pay attention to certain things that James Renner reports on because he was told one thing 
that I don't have an opinion on. I have an opinion on on abuse. You know, that's terrible. I'm certainly not saying that. I'm saying I don't have an opinion on that particular circumstance because I wasn't there and it's not fair of me to put forward an opinion like that. And we've apologized for doing stuff like that in the past. And um, what I want to make clear is that, you know, you can agree with some things that a reporter will say and you can disagree strongly with other things, but that should never take away from... It doesn't make him a bad reporter. It doesn't make him a bad reporter and it shouldn't take away from the reporting he's doing because we don't know. I I mean, he could have had a a completely accurate um, source that that told him that or he could have had a source that lied to him i don't know right right that that's a great point i mean someone did tell him that um and you can you can figure that this person could have had something against fred or some reason to say this absolutely and that is could be completely valid for sure Um, but he's earned a little bit of extra credibility in our eyes because of how right he was with the bill stuff i agree i i 100 agree for sure and even when he was telling us what happened at this court case in November 2019, we were like, no way. What are you talking about? This is this sounds crazy. And it really took us uh, some time to to actually process that. He received a lot of backlash when he came up with um, the tandem driver theory as well. And since digging in uh, in the past couple of weeks into this case, um, more deeply than ever before. I did come across an article and I think I sent it to you guys that um, the police actually thought that there was a tandem driver as well. So James gets all this, you know, backlash for proposing a theory. He's not stating it as fact, but that's exactly what the cops thought too. I'm embarrassed to say that I, I was one of those people in the beginning that said to James, like there, there wasn't a tandem driver. She was going up there alone, but I don't know why I couldn't see the details there until until recently. I couldn't see that everything does line up for a tandem driver. If if you're if you're laying out the details, I mean everything lines up for she was she was heading somewhere to to meet up with a group of people and they were they were going to kick back or do whatever. I don't know. They, she was meeting up with people. Her car spins out, and the person that she was uh, that was following her or she was following ends up circling back or coming up to coming upon her. I mean the dogs lost the scent in a spot where it makes sense that that would happen. She took exactly what she needed to take in order to just, you know, go away briefly. And then she was going to, like, find her car later on. Um, So anyway, I don't don't know why I'm getting fired up about this right now. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Another um, thing that I've always thought about is... um, you know, people are like, well, she drained her bank account of the $280. She's not going to get far on that 280 bucks. But one thing that I've always put forth is she had two jobs, right? She worked at security at um, the hall. And then she also um, worked at the art gallery. So I wish that we could determine when her next pay date was. Because maybe, yeah, she drained her bank account on the Monday, but maybe she was her payday was Tuesday. Great call. Great call. Maybe she knew she was getting a uh, paycheck or a direct deposit. Exactly. And also, if she was only one or two weeks into that semester, did Mora get, um, like here in Canada, we call it a student loan. Was she expecting to receive any of those funds? I'm not sure, like scholarship funds or 
No, you're 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 right on. I don't know if we know that if she had a student loan, if she was getting any um, additional funds because it was the beginning of some of a semester. That's a really good question. There we go. Couple a couple of great points here. It's it, it it's these uh, circumstances that don't seem like on the surface are a big deal until you uncover a little bit. You peel back one or two layers and you realize, yeah, it does make sense because she took out money drained her bank account. It looks like she's doing that because she's never coming back. Or maybe she's doing that because she's expecting more money in a couple of days. Like a lot of people do, you know, maybe payday was Friday. Especially was- in college, right? Like yeah. I used to drain my bank account and be like, okay, I've got like seven cents left, but I can get beer tomorrow because I get paid. You just, you just described my Thursday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just, it's hard to imagine that someone else was aware of Mora's uh, travel plans because of how much secrecy there would have to be. Um, you know, like, and that's why it feels like we're talking about a crazy conspiracy theory sometimes, even though I don't think we are. Um, but, uh, but it feels like it sometimes because it's like, well, okay, well, how many people have to be quiet about this? How many people would have had to have known people are lying? It's not just one person. There must have to be several if that's the direction that we think. So I think that's one reason why it's a little hard to um, fathom the scope of everything. Uh, I just wanted to reference the article that you mentioned earlier. It is from, it was released, published February 20th from the Brockton Enterprise. That's a Massachusetts uh, small town newspaper. And it says the Hanson, uh, 21-year-old college student who disappeared after a minor car crash in New Hampshire last week probably left the area in another vehicle, investigators said Thursday after a search near the crash scene failed to produce evidence she had walked into the woods. It goes on, police say they have considered that someone whom Maura Murray knew was traveling with her in another vehicle, but that remains unknown. And that, again, February 20th, 2004 so this was not as much as ren i don't want to take away his originality but uh but this this was not his theory that's no. right no it, he didn't, it, i don't think he even knew that the cops thought that yeah because it's i mean the police thought that because it's obvious because they didn't find her footprints going into the woods the the items that were still in her car suggested that she was going to be coming back they did they did an investigation within days to, to determine this. And and we, we've we've said since the beginning, embarrassingly so, oh, they botched it right from the beginning. Actually, you could make an argument saying, no, they were putting the call out there for somebody to come forward and say, yeah, I was traveling with her. Um, so what does that leave us? Does that leave, where, you know, where does that leave us? It leaves us with um, perhaps somebody who is following her not saying, not remembering, or being told not to say. You know, because why why else wouldn't you just say, yeah, she hopped in and, and we were going somewhere. I mean, are you guilty of doing something then? Is that the person? Because I'm trying I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. In that scenario, that's an acquaintance of Mora. Yeah. yeah. So that's right. where my mind goes. Right. The person that she was meeting is the one responsible for her demise. Yeah, I, I, people have said, oh, maybe she hit her head on the, on the windshield, and I think she did, and that could have affected her thinking, um, and maybe that is uh, an effect that set in later, but I do think that's a little too convenient because it almost lets everybody off the hook. Because still, where is she? And if that happened and she, God forbid, when it had a seizure or something like that later when in the company of a friend or friends, 
we should still know about that. <laughs> right. So, okay, in that scenario, she has a seizure from hitting her head and, and her friend or friends, A, take her to a hospital or B, try to take her to a hospital and she and she dies or C, don't do anything and she dies and no one says anything. So are you are, uh, where where are these people? You know, are these people they're are, guilty uh, They're If that's what happened, that's there's right. no excuse there. They need to come forward. Yeah, but it's not murder also, if that's what it is. So, you know, if if you do have a secret like that, then you should come forward and talk because, A, the guilt will be resolved, but you will not face uh, a steep penalty in prison. Another um, old article I found that I thought was interesting um, that I had never really seen reported before said, um, uh, Haverhill, is that how you say it? Haverhill? Haverhill? Haverhill, thanks. Yeah. It's Canadian accent. I guess. <laughs> That's okay. Um, police department received a call at 8.40 p.m. from UM campus security to report Maura Murray's belongings were all packed up in her dorm room. Campus security had evidence that she was last seen Sunday morning by a fellow student and that she was carrying a backpack, box of wine, and a large hockey bag of beer. What? Where's that hockey, hockey bag. bag and how did they know there was beer in it? Can you uh, can you name that article real quick? Yeah, let me like see. The, uh, yeah. Um, I can't. I have a screenshot up here on my phone. So after this show, I'll send you the link to it. Okay. So I just think that's weird. So then she bought that box of wine on Sunday and not Monday. Well, this is so. This is what I I was thinking in my mind. So if this was on Sunday morning. She was in the crash with her dad's Toyota on Saturday at like 3.30 in the morning, right? Yeah, I guess technically Sunday morning. Got a lift from the tow truck operator to her dad's hotel. And um, I know from the phone records, she did call Bill. I think it was at like 4.49 in the morning. And they they spoke. And then... um, I'm not sure what time this was. All it, it says is she was last seen Sunday morning. So she likely didn't have a lot of sleep that night if it was still the morning when she was seen at UMass. You know, so we know her backpack has never been found, but where is this hockey bag? I've never seen it itemized as something found in her dorm or her car. Being so specific with a hockey bag as opposed to a gym bag, is very curious to me. Uh, is it a field hockey? Is it like, uh, like, or like an ice skating hockey? I mean, the reason why I'm asking is, why would Mora even have a hockey bag? Did she, did she play field hockey? Or was that, or was, was it just a big gym bag that was miscategorized as a hockey bag? Well, there's a hockey team there, too. Oh, yeah. So it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're a good hockey team, too. So where would she have this hockey bag from if, she, you know, or maybe it was miscategorized, but I, I know it seems like we're splitting hairs once again, but was she bringing that hockey bag to somebody? Did did somebody, you know, give her this bag and say, throw it's got beer in it, throw it in your car and we'll meet you. You know, like that could be a connecting factor there. Absolutely. And and this is the the Saturday before is the infamous supposed dorm party and one thing that I've always questioned is you know so Fred and is it Kate and Mara go out for dinner yeah 
So they go out for dinner and then they drop Fred back off and he's supposedly aware that they're attending a dorm party. Why does she need Fred's car? If they're, they're going back to the dorm, Fred's got a brand new car. I know my dad wouldn't even let me drive a brand new car. Not because I'm a bad driver, but that's just how he is. So why wouldn't Fred have just dropped them off? He's already, they've already gone to the liquor store and got some booze. I don't yeah. know. My dad would be like, you're not taking my brand new car when I know you're going to a party. Right. I think Fred had the car for about a year, so it wasn't um, exactly brand new. Um, but yeah, I wonder that too. We, we've talked about that. It, uh, it really, I think what's weird about it to me is that she drove it back. You know, she decided to drive it at 3am or, or something. And, uh, regardless if we don't know if she was drunk, obviously, um, we talked about it that, uh, in, in a recent episode with the, with the prosecutors, the live one. Um, so we don't know if she was drunk, but we do know that it wasn't really, uh, probably a great decision to get in the car at that time. I mean, based on the outcome of it, I think that's safe to say. And and maybe that's based on her mental well-being at that particular moment. But, you know, you, you raise a really great point that, again, we, we embarrassingly overlook sometimes, which is she had a car there. They, they already, got, they already uh, had food. They already had uh, alcohol that they purchased. She was going to a party. Even if Fred didn't know she was going to a party... I mean, he knows that this is college and it's a weekend. He knows there's probably they just had a couple of beers at dinner. He knows they're probably going to have a couple of beers later on. And he still has maybe and this I'm using this term very loosely. He still has no problem loaning his car to his 21 year old daughter. And I'm not saying anything against a 21 year old young woman, but it was the weekend at college. They just had a couple of beers. It's the middle of the winter. It's February. She, I mean, there could be black ice. It just feels like a very weird decision to make. That's all I'm saying. I agree. And I think it um, lends to the theory of the party being off campus, which is why they needed the car. Right. Ah. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, we also had we also got an email um, a while ago from someone who was from UMass, who uh, we did verify was on Mora's track team, who said that they had heard that Mora was in uh, a second accident, an, an accident before the one with uh, Fred's car. What? That would be four accidents. Uh, I think that would end up be three. That would be, yeah, that that would be one that, that before that we had ever previously known. Um, now, I'm not sure the validity of that. Um, obviously, we've never heard any, like, we, we've never heard anyone confirm that except for this email. So we don't know if that's true or what. Right. And, and it could be a matter of so much time had passed, this person might have misremembered something or they might have been told information that someone else mis- misremembered that they, you know, maybe a, a, a schoolmate or something told them and it was the game of telephone where it was, you know, starts off, oh, you know that missing uh, girl, Mora, uh, she crashed your dad's car and then she crashed her car, you know, and then it turns into this whole, you know, but her dad was here and, you know, he was giving her a car and she crashed it so she needed to take off and crash her car and, you know, details get sort of... Uh, convoluted and and conflated but it was interesting to get that email and and think about something like that just like it was really interesting when you said that the dorm party was off campus 
That is very interesting. Yeah, and then that would also lead me to believe why there was a hockey bag full of beer. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.